You know, it's funny sometimes the things you think about. I was just standing there listening to Anthony, you know, if it's convenient, please stand. And I thought to myself, you know, we always say if it's convenient, maybe next time I'm just going to say whether or not it's convenient, y'all stand just to be cantankerous. I've been stuck at home for two weeks. I haven't been able to get on to anybody. I can hardly wait until the Christmas break is over with so that I can give Karen a hard time in the office. It's like the thing that pumps life into my veins, knowing that she's going to come and I'm going to get to make her smile. It's an amazing thing. (laughs) I don't even know where any of this came from. All right. Matthew chapter 10, chapter 8, excuse me, Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came into Capernaum, there was a centurion who came and told him about his servant who was uh, in need of being healed. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion replied to the Lord and said, I'm not worthy for you to come and to be in my house, but I know that you only have to speak the word. And if you will but speak the word, then my servant will be healed. And the Bible tells us that verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. That passage has always uh, interested me, intrigued me, that Jesus would make that statement. I have not found so great a faith, not even in Israel. I take it to mean that Jesus marvels at the fact that here is this centurion, here is this Gentile who has this level of faith in the Lord, this great faith that he knows all Jesus has to do is speak the word. And yet the Jews, Jesus' own people, refuse to believe in him. What great faith. How important is faith? Listen to some of these passages that describe the importance of faith. This is what Jesus said in John 3 and verse 18. He said, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, listen to this, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. Listen to Psalm 78, verse 21 and 22. This is a historical psalm that is reflecting upon the history of the nation of Israel. And here's what it says. Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger came up against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his salvation. How important is faith? Well, over and over again, the Bible will tell us that, like in Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, we cannot be pleasing to God. And so it's no wonder then that the Bible will call us over and over again to have faith, to be faithful. Listen to Psalm 37, verse 3 to 5. The psalmist says, trust in the Lord, Psalm 37, 3, and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, and trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. 
Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6. Isaiah 26 verse 4 says, trust in the Lord forever for in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. Jesus looked at a centurion and marveled over the magnitude of his faith. Now, I wonder if Jesus were to look at us, if he would marvel over the magnitude of our faith. Faith is vital because we can't be pleasing to God without it. And God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to believe in him. He calls us to trust in him. And he illustrates it as well. I want us to just take a few minutes tonight to revisit some classic examples of Great faith in the Bible, we're all familiar with each one of them. Again, it's just by way of reminder. For the purpose of illustrating this great faith that Jesus saw in the centurion that we have seen that the Bible shows in others as well. So maybe we might be able to learn something from their example and pattern our lives after their footsteps. Let's talk about Noah first of all. You know that in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible introduces us to the man by the name of Noah, and I'm sure that you remember the context in which he is introduced. The Bible says that the Lord looked upon uh, the world, and he looked upon men, and he saw that the mind, the desire of men was only on evil continually, and so the Bible says that The Lord, when he saw the wickedness of men, was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved, and he said, I will destroy man of whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air, because I am sorry that I have made them. And then we have one of the most magnificent statements of contrast that exist in this world. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8. And then from that point on, the Bible will describe Noah and why it was that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9 and look at the characteristics that the Bible Bible explains about him. The Bible says that Noah, first of all, was a just man. The idea is that Noah was righteous and that Noah lived up to the standard of God. That's a remarkable statement in and of itself based upon everything that God has said in the first seven verses of this chapter. He has described the wickedness of man as being so great that the Lord was sorry that he made man and yet in this mess of ungodliness, here is Noah who is described as someone who lived up to the standard that God set. That's a high ideal. Then the Bible says in Genesis 6 and verse 9 that he was perfect in his generations. The word perfect could also be translated blameless. And the idea is that Noah was well-rounded and that he was balanced. He was well-rounded and he was balanced. He is blameless and he lives up to the standard of God. And so the result of that is, Genesis 6, 9, that Noah walked with God meaning that Noah had an ongoing relationship with his heavenly father. Now stop again and just think about those three things that are said and the context in which they're described. 
We have a world that is overflowing with wickedness, and yet in the midst of this wickedness, here we have a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he did this because, number one, he lived up to the standard that God set. Number two, he was blameless or perfect, which meant he strived to be well-rounded and balanced. And number three, he walked with God, which meant he had an ongoing relationship with him. And so, because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord... God warned Noah about what was coming, and God gave Noah instructions about building the ark. And you remember that Noah followed them all to the T. And then look at what the Hebrews writer says about Noah in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. This is what he says. In commenting on this man of faith, he says as follows. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. There is a lot packed into this small, uh, this one verse, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Notice that Noah was divinely warned about things that hadn't yet been seen. God says to Noah, Noah, I'm going to send a flood to destroy the earth. A flood, what's that? What are you talking about? We're talking about something that Noah couldn't even wrap his mind around, that he couldn't even conceive. And yet, because it was God who warned him and told him it was coming, the Bible says that by faith, Noah believed him and Noah obeyed. Noah, notice this, moved with godly fear. It was his godly fear that motivated his action. And so he prepared an ark. And in doing this, notice this, the Bible says that he condemned the world. The emphasis of that is that the faithfulness of Noah stood in stark contrast to the unfaithfulness of all of those people who were around him. Remember Genesis 6, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because verse 9 says that he lived up to God's standard and that he was blameless or perfect or well-rounded and balanced and that he had an ongoing relationship with his heavenly father. He walked with God and the Hebrews writer says in doing all of those things, he condemned the world because his faithfulness was a great contrast to their unfaithfulness. Now, I would suggest to you that the same, at least I would hope the same, could be said about each one of us. That we live in a world that's wicked, and yet in this world that's wicked, we, like Noah, are striving to have this great faith so it could be said of us that we condemn the world simply because our righteousness stands in such great contrast to their unrighteousness. But he also says in Hebrews eleven seven that he became the heir of the righteousness which, which is according to faith, which literally means he became a possessor of the righteousness that comes from faith. The righteousness or the right standing before God that comes from faith. It is Noah's faith that allowed him to have a right standing before God. That's what the Hebrews writer means. So Noah is one very good example of a great faith. In this world of darkness, here is Noah who says, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing, I'll be faithful to God. And the Hebrews writer says, he condemned the world because of it, and he became heir of righteousness because of it. Let's think about another one. We're all familiar with the account of Caleb and Joshua and the spies in Numbers chapter 13, chapters 13 and 14. 
You remember that God commissioned the spies, Moses commissioned the spies to go into the land of Canaan and to come back and to bring a report. And all of the spies, except Joshua and Caleb, they said, we can't do it. We know God said we could. This is basically the the gist of it. We know God said we could, but we've seen them. There are giants in the land, and their defenses are great, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And it doesn't matter what you say, Moses, it doesn't matter what God says, we cannot do it. And then here are Joshua and Caleb who say, we can do it. Well, I want you to actually look with me in Joshua chapter uh, chapter 14. We're not going to look at the account in numbers this time. I want us to fast forward some 45 years later. In Joshua chapter 14, um, Caleb will have a conversation with Joshua. This is, this is after now we're long into the conquest. We're long into the uh, settling, uh, giving the inheritance, uh, the different portions of land to the tribes. And I want us to just read together this conversation that Caleb has with Joshua, beginning in Joshua 14, 6. The Bible says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephthah the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden will be uh, your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said. These 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you have heard in that day, you, you have heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. And it may be that the Lord will be with me and I will be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephthah, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the uh, Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was uh, Kirjath Arba. Um, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Let's think about this section, Joshua chapter 14, verse 6 and following, and what it tells us about Caleb. I want you to look with me at Joshua chapter 14, verse 7 and 8, and notice that faith requires devotion. Faith requires devotion. Notice that Three times in this entire context, verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 14, this statement is made about Caleb that he wholly followed the Lord. 
He wholly, completely is the idea, followed the Lord. This language is indicative of completely and utterly giving yourself over to following God. In the New Testament, we would, equip, we would uh, uh, find the equivalent in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, about uh, giving your life as a sacrifice on the altar of service to God. But Caleb identifies, or it is said of Caleb three times, that, that Caleb wholly and completely followed the Lord. And what exactly did that require? Look closer at verse 7 and 8. I was 40 years old, Caleb said, when Moses sent me as a spy, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. But my brethren who went up with me, they made the heart of the people melt. Notice the contrast. They made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord. You could say something about the effect that negative people can have on God's people from this passage. They made the heart of the people melt. I think of an ice cream cone or something on a hot summer day. It's like nothing. It's there and then it's gone. Their courage was there and it was, then it was gone. Their, uh, their uh, conviction was there and then it was gone. And now basically the people are useless because their courage and their conviction has melted and gone away. Caleb said, but I didn't do that. I followed the Lord. But when you add in Numbers chapter 14, verse 6 to 10 to this, here's where the point really punches you in the gut. Caleb's devotion meant that Caleb had the courage in Numbers 14, verse 6 to 10 to go against his brethren. These ones he's talking about in Joshua 14, verse 8, the ones who made the heart of the people melt. Caleb had the courage to go against them and it nearly cost him his life. They wanted to kill him because of it. Numbers chapter 14, verse 6 and following, and yet Caleb didn't budge. That's the devotion that faith requires. Now, here's something else that we learn about faith from Caleb in um, Joshua chapter 14. We learn something about its foundation. Look at Joshua 14, verse 6. He says, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses. Look at Joshua 14, verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive as he said. Ever since the Lord, keep reading, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses. And then look at verse number 12. What do you think we're going to find? Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke. What is the foundation for faith? The foundation for faith is the word of God. Everything that Caleb says, the case that Caleb makes in Joshua 14 is all based on God's word. This is what God said. Notice, by the way, that Joshua doesn't argue with it. Joshua doesn't say, well, Caleb, I realize that this is what you want and that God said, but that was 45 years ago. Don't you know how much has changed in 45 years? I really think it would be better for you guys to go settle down over here. Is that what Joshua did? No, of course not. Because Joshua knew you don't argue with what the Lord said. It doesn't matter that he said it 45 years ago. If he said it 45 years ago or 450,000 years ago, it's still just as authoritative and it matters just as much right now as it did when he said it. 
The word of God is the foundation for faith, and faith is anchored by the word of God. Read Hebrews chapter 6. Here's one more thing. Joshua 14, verse 10 and 11, uh, the word perspective comes to mind. Perspective. Verse 10 and 11, he says, he's, he's talking now about what the Lord has said. He said, now the Lord has kept me alive just as he said. These 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, excuse me, and now here I am this day, 85 years old, as yet I am um, as strong this day as on the day Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Now, when you look at these two verses, you need to think about the word perspective. And here's the reason why, because what Caleb does is Caleb looks in the past. He remembers God's goodness in the past. This is what God said. This is what God did. And he uses what God has done in the past for strength in the present and in the future. God said and did this all the way back then, and what God said all the way back then has carried through until right now. And right now, Caleb says, in this moment, I am just as strong today and ready and willing today as I was all the way back then. That's the perspective of faith. You see, the perspective of faith is what makes the difference between reading historical accounts and thinking, well, that's a nice story, and reading historical accounts and gaining real strength from them. Do you remember that in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, the Bible says that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, so that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What are the things that are written aforetime? The things we're reading about right now. The things that we read about in the Old Testament. The Bible stories that we teach our children. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and David and Goliath and all of these stories that we teach our... We're not teaching them those things just because it's a good idea. We're teaching them those things because that's God's word and there's power in God's word and those are true events. And just like Israel was to build stones as monuments when they crossed over the Jordan River... So that when their children would say, what do these stones mean? That would give them an opportunity then to explain the significance of those stones. So when we open up the Bible and we look back at the true events and the actions of God throughout human history, those things are designed to give us perspective. We see his power and his grace and his goodness and his mercy and all of the great things of God in the past. And those things are designed not to give us half hope and say, well, yeah, God's on our side, but he can't do or won't do today what he did then. No, that's not what they're for. They're to give us complete and full hope. God was with them then. God will be with us today. God helped them then. God will help us today. That's perspective. Look at verse 12. All of this leads to action. He says, now therefore give me this mountain 
Give me this mountain, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I will be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. 85-year-old man who says, look, 45 years ago, God said, Caleb, you'll have this land. And now here we are, and I'm still strong, and I'm still full of faith, and I'm ready to go. So let me do it. That's the action of faith. There's a lot more that could be said about this, but here are four things just to remember. Again, devotion, foundation, perspective, and action. We have Noah who teaches us about being righteous and living up to the standard of God even when nobody else is doing it. We have Caleb who in Joshua chapter 14 tells us that faith requires real, true devotion. That means courage and going against the crowd, which for Caleb nearly cost him his life. He also reminds us of the foundation of faith, which is the word of God, and the perspective of faith, which is a faith that has the ability to look backward and use what he sees for strength and motive in the present and the future. And then there's the action of faith. Faith is never dead or alone or anything like that. Faith always moves. A couple of more quickly. There's Moses, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 through 29. The Hebrews writer says of Moses that he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And then there's this small statement in the context of verse 23 to 29 that says, he looked to the reward. The grammar of that statement indicates that Moses was focused on one thing and one thing only. And that one thing was the driving force. He had on one hand the ability to enjoy all of the wealth and the riches and the pleasures that came with the dominant empire of the day. He perhaps could have even uh, had eyes on the throne for all we know. And then on the other hand, he had pain and difficulty and suffering and all of these other things, what motivated his decision to choose the latter is that he had his mind set on one thing and one thing only, and that is the reward. We might call that the focus of faith. If we have devotion, foundation, perspective, and action, we've got to have focus too, right? The focus of faith is heaven. And being focused on that one thing and that one thing only. Last one, Abraham. The Hebrews writer talks about Abraham as well. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 17, you remember that the, uh, the Hebrews writer talks about Abraham by faith when he was tested offering up Isaac. And uh, he says, He who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it would said, In Isaac shall your seed be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. I think personally that the story of Abraham and the evolution of his faith is one of the greatest stories that the Bible relates to us. We have a man who starts off basically in paganism, who wrestles almost immediately with his trust and his faith in God. You remember he lied on two occasions about his wife. 
He tried to help God on a couple of occasions. Both of them wound up getting him in trouble. And finally, after these years go by and his faith grows, the son that God promised he was going to bless the world through, Isaac is born, and now God is saying, I want you to take his life. And the Hebrews writer comments on this and says, you know, he considered God as being able to raise him from the dead. And as we've pointed out before, there are zero recorded resurrections as far as we know that Abraham knew about or had seen. So the thought process of Abraham must have been something like, well, look, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I know that God has said Isaac is the one, and I know that God has said I'm supposed to offer him, so if Isaac is the one and I'm supposed to offer him, then God must have some plan to bring him back to life. That is some steadfast faith and trust. But here's the point that I want you to get from Abraham. It actually comes from Romans 4, verse 12. And it is that our faith can actually have a positive effect on other people. Now, we know, of course, about Abraham and about how Jesus came through his line and blessed mankind and so on. Salvation is offered to all because of the faith of Abraham. But the Hebrews writer makes a point in Romans 4.12 that's important. He says that Abraham has become the father of circumcision to all those who are not of the circumcision, who walk in the footsteps of the faith which our father Abraham had, being yet uncircumcised. Translation, Abraham is the father of the faithful to everybody who has a faith that looks like his. Because Abraham was faithful and called the friend of God, the world has the opportunity to be saved because Jesus came from the lineage or from the line of Abraham. But it's also the case that Abraham stands as a model of faith and God says, if your faith matches his, then you can be right in my sight just like he was right in my sight. Pattern and example. So you put Abraham with Noah and Caleb and Moses and what do you have? You have Noah who teaches us that it is important to be faithful to God even if nobody else is. You have Caleb who teaches us about devotion and the foundation and perspective and the action of faith. You have Moses who teaches us about faith's focus, keeping our focus on the one thing. And you have Abraham who reminds us that while we're being faithful to God, even when nobody else is like Noah, when we're being devoted and standing on God's word and keeping the proper perspective and working and keeping our eyes on the goal that it may be that there are people around us who are watching all of this and they may, may very well be able to model the faithfulness that they see in me. What did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Hopefully my faith is a faith that is worthy of being followed. How important is faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, there, there is no more direct statement in God's word emphasizing how vitally important it is to have faith. But here's my encouragement to us tonight. Let's not strive just to have faith. Let's strive to have the kind of faith that Jesus described in Matthew 8 and verse 10. What great faith so that he might marvel over the faith that we possess. Lesson is yours this evening. Appreciate your attention. 
We're going to offer the Lord's invitation, and maybe there's someone here tonight that has a need to respond, perhaps to become a child of God. If that's the case, then we stand ready and willing to assist you in doing that. But maybe you are a Christian, and maybe it's the case that your faith is struggling. Can we pray for you? Can we help you and encourage you in some way? If we can, come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing together.